Ezra 7 and 8. Remember, we went through Ezra 1 through 6, and basically that covers almost a 100-year period where God's people are returning from Babylon to Jerusalem, from exile, back home, and they completed the temple, but there was a lot of opposition. And we saw last week how the Word of God helped direct the people of God to accomplish what God has called them to. And now what you see, Ezra chapter 7 through 10, is just a one-year span. And in that one-year span, you're going to see a lot of similarities. There's a pattern here, and it's here on purpose. Because how God moved in His people in Ezra, God still moves in His church today. So I want us to see that. I want us to see that. Remember, homework was to read chapters, or yeah, Ezra chapter 7. And what you'll see in Ezra chapter 7 and Ezra chapter 8 is this repeating word of the gracious hand of God is on everyone who looks to Him. The gracious hand of God is on everyone who looks to Him. Which means, if you look to God, His hand is on you. His hand is on your life. He guides and directs and protects and leads His people. And that's what you see again and again in Ezra 7 and 8. And so here's my plea to you. And it's my message to myself. Look to God and watch how, what happens when His hand is on your life. God's gracious hand is on all of those who look to Him. You see this in Ezra 7, 6. If you have your Bibles and you're taking notes and you don't mind writing in your Bibles, what I would do is underline or circle these six passages. These six passages. It's Ezra 7, 6. says, This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked. Why? For the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Ezra 7, 9. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month and arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. Ezra 7.28, the second part of the verse. Because the hand of the Lord my God was on me, I took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go up with me. Ezra 8.18, because the gracious hand of our Lord, of our God, was on us, they brought us Sherebiah, a capable man from the descendants of Mali, sons of Levi, the son of Israel, and Sherebiah's sons and brothers, 18 in all. Ezra 8.22 I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. And then just in case you missed it, in these two chapters, Ezra goes back. Verse 31, chapter 8. The hand of our God was on us. And he protected us from enemies and bandits along the way. When you see Ezra changing the world, we understand it wasn't because Ezra was special in and of himself. It was because the hand of our God was on him. The difference in your life and the difference in my life won't be because we're capable. It will be because the hand of God is on us. And my question is, is the hand of God on you today? My prayer is that the hand of God is on my marriage. That He's filling it with grace. That He's giving both of us endurance. 
My prayer is that the hand of God is on how I raise four daughters to love and fear Him and follow Him wherever He leads. My prayer is that the hand of God is on my coaching of football, a sport, to His glory. That I don't get sidetracked with worried about winning at all costs, but I'm pursuing God's glory in how I'm teaching and coaching young men. My, my prayer is that God's hand is on me how I teach at Holmes High School. My prayer is that God's hand's on me and how we lead as a church and how we serve in the community. That's my prayer for myself and it's my prayer for you. It's God's hand on you. That's what you see again and again in Ezra 7 and 8. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a, a little trip through these two chapters and we're going to move rather quickly Give an overview of chapter 7 and 8, and then we're going to make three applications. And this is how you can know if God's hand's on you. One, there'll be a hunger for His Word. A hunger for the Bible. If God's hand is on you, you have to know what He expects from you. We need to know who God is and what He has done, and He's given us His Word. And it's an amazing thing, as God leads His people, there's always a hunger for His Word. We'll also see if God's hand is on us, we will not hesitate to ask for what is needed. We won't hesitate to ask for what is needed. God always calls his people to more than they can do. Right? David couldn't slay Goliath. He couldn't whoop him in a fight. But he knew he could ask God for strength. And God could deliver him from his hand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew they couldn't survive a furnace, but they knew they served a God who could save them. And what you'll see in Ezra's life is he's not afraid to ask for what is needed for what God's called him to. And how about us? How in the world are we going to reach the city of Covington? How are we going to make an impact here, near, and far? It won't be because we're strong. It's going to be because we're asking God for some awesome things. And because his hand is on his people... He can accomplish the work. And then finally, you'll see four characteristics that help us. Right? And, and I, I like to compare this. Um, if you show up to a football game on Friday night, hey, Demarcus, wave your hand real quick. Noah, wave your hand real quick. Jameer, you know what this is like. On Friday night, those two guys look radically different than parents and girlfriends and people sitting in the stands. Right? They'll have a helmet on. They'll have their shoulder pads, their jersey on. They'll actually be on the field. They'll actually be running around trying to tackle people or block people. It's easy to tell who's the football players and who are the spectators. The same is true. It's easy to tell who has God's hand on them. Because there's going to be four things that are powerfully present all throughout these two, these two chapters, Ezra 7 and 8. Humility, prayer, worship, and work. And so we're going to see these applications, those three applications, all throughout these two chapters. So we've got a lot of work to do. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dig in. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning. Father, I pray that you help us listen quickly and apply the word to our hearts and our minds and our lives. Lord, you've gathered us all here for a reason. Nobody's here by accident. Lord, help us hear from you. We need a touch from you. We need your hand on our lives desperately. And Lord, that's exactly what you do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, Ezra chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. 
This is a, a pretty simple, it's a lineage connecting Ezra to Aaron, which is the high priest. Now, the reason why this is important, it shows the faithfulness of God. Someone needed to stand between God and the people, and he ordained priests to do that. And they all come in the line of Aaron. And we see that God is faithful to his people with Ezra. And one day, we know, looking back, he provided the great high priest, the perfect high priest, Jesus, who connects God to his people through the sacrifice of himself. And so here, verses 1 through 5, it's all there to show the faithfulness of God. But then you see verses 6 through 10. Chapter 7, starting with verse 6, we're introduced to Ezra, who's in the line of Aaron. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher, well-versed in the law of Moses. The law of Moses is called the Pentateuch, first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so you see here, this guy is well-versed in those five books of the law. That's very important. Now, we don't stop there. We see which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. So we see the law of Moses, but it was given by who? By God. You see, this is God's gift to his people, his word. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all given by God. Inspired, inerrant, profitable for us for teaching and reproving and guiding us in all things. And here you see Ezra. Ezra is skilled, well-versed in the law. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Some of the Israelites, including priests and Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, temple servants, also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month and arrived to Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month. For the gracious hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to study and the observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching his decrees and laws in Israel. That's very important. Ezra 7.10 is a verse every pastor and teacher of the Bible needs to know because that is all we do. That's what every believer is called to do. Know the word, do the word, teach the word. It's that simple. And I love how Ezra, verse 10, 7 verse 10, breaks it down. Do you know the Word? Are you committed to studying the Word of God? Are you committed to doing what you know and what you read? And then, are you sharing it with others? You want to know who's the best teachers? Those who are living it out. Some of the best lessons learned are those that have been shown, not told. That's exactly what we see Jesus do. He's teaching, but He's also living it out in front of His disciples. That's got to be us, his people. And so you see in this passage, you see that Ezra is a man devoted to the word of God, but you also see he's on a journey. From Babylon to Jerusalem is around 900 miles. Now, think about this. Let's say God called us from Ashland Avenue, 2735 Ashland Avenue. You know how far we'd have to walk together? We'd walk all the way down to central Florida. Orlando, Tampa, you pick the destination, but that's how long of a journey this is. And Ezra's leading families on this journey. Think about children walking. They get tired after a couple steps. Four-month journey. Why? Because God called them home. Called them to go back. And 
What did Ezra do to motivate the people? Did you see that? He used the word of God. Now, I, I don't know about you, but if, if I'm trying to get people to do something as big as take this huge road trip, I wonder if Ezra thought, you know what? Maybe I need some incentives. Hey, if, if we get halfway, we'll stop at whatever restaurant. We'll, we'll go to Kings Island if we can make it this far by this time. I wonder what motivations he used. Well, we know what motivations he used. He knew the word. He knew what God called his people to do. He did it, and then he taught others the same. That's interesting. We'll come back to that a little bit later. So, so that's Ezra 7, 6 through 10. We skip on down. Uh, verses 11 to 26, God moves in the heart of another king. And this is a verse I think we all need to know. No matter who's the president or who's leading what nation, we've got to understand that Proverbs 21.1 says this, In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels toward all who please him. And here, he put in the heart of King Artaxerxes exactly what he wanted to accomplish. And so the king writes this long decree to Ezra. And for the sake of time, I've summarized it briefly. In verse 13, he sees any Israelite that wants to go back home, go. In verses 15 and 17, he gives gold and silver to pay for the journey and to use for the temple. Ezra can do what is best with the leftovers. How cool is that? He trusts Ezra that much. Whatever's left over, do what's best according to your word. He delivers all the articles that are entrusted to the temple for worship. He says, anything else that's needed, use the royal treasury. Pay for it on my dime, not yours. Ezra's to appoint leaders to ensure justice, and he's supposed to appoint those who know the law. And then King Artaxerxes says, and those who don't, teach them. A king who doesn't know God, instructing a priest who knows God to appoint leaders who know God, and if they don't, teach them how they can know God. And then the king concludes with a warning. Whoever doesn't listen to Ezra can be punished and listen to your options. You can be punished by death, banishment, imprisonment, or confiscation of property. He puts some teeth to the leadership of Ezra. A king. Why? Because God moved him. Because God's hand was on Ezra. And then you see in verses 27 and 28 of chapter 7, when God's hand is on you, you're able to, he's able to move whoever to do whatever needs to be accomplished. But then we also see God's with his people. Look at what can be done when God's hand's on you. Look at what can be done when God's hand is on you. You've got to understand, Ezra knew captivity. He had been in Babylon for a long time. The people had been in Babylon for a long time. And I wonder if they thought, had God forgotten them? Isn't it amazing when God moves, what can be done? That's verses 27 and 28. Then we go to chapter 8. Now, chapter 8 starts off with a roll call. Here's all of the names who joined Ezra for the journey back to Jerusalem. And I just point this out. It says that there are, these are the family heads, those who are leading the families. And I think what a powerful testimony for these fathers. You know, this is the roll call I'd want to be on. I would argue my family's kind of comfortable here 
I really don't want to take this four-month journey with my family. You know, we've got young kids. Like, there's a lot of excuses that could be running through their heads. It's dangerous. Not sure if it's going to work out. Doesn't sound like it's going great back home anyways. But that's not what they do. They pack up, and they go. That's the legacy I want to leave. Whatever God is calling you to, whatever God is calling our families to, I want us to pack up and do it. No matter the cost, let us go with God and trust that His hand is on His people. Then you get to verses 15 to 20. He does a roll call and realizes somebody's absent. Now, I know this will date me a little bit. Ferris Bueller's day off. You have the teacher. Bueller's skipping school, but the teacher goes, Bueller, Bueller. I'm bored just in him saying the name twice. Well, Ferris isn't there. But then he just moves on to the next name. Ezra doesn't move on to the next name. Where are the Levites? He says, we've got a problem. And then he says, I'm going to go get them. Raises up some people, says, hey, go ask so-and-so, bring them back here. We need them. Now, real quick, who are the Levites? You think they're, they're temple officials that are under the priest. They help the priest. They could be gatekeepers. They could be musicians. And you, you know what this says? All of God's people have a role and are indispensable to the church and to the temple. This is very, very important. Ezra's not going anywhere until he has everyone he needs. We'll come back to this in just a little bit. But just understand this. From verses 15 to 20, there's a problem. There's no Levites. Ezra figures out a way, goes gets the Levites. Why? Because God's hands on them. And he gives them favor. And there's a crew that comes. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Moving on down. Ezra uh, 18, or Ezra 8. 21 to 23 there's this long journey with family and valuables and this is the main part of the passage this is the 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 thing that that everything is focused on and we see what happens we see a little bit of how someone with god's hand on them will operate so leading a huge mission look at what ezra calls for in verse 21 there by the ahava canal i proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before God and ask Him for safe journey for us and our children with all of our possessions. Very, very important to do. Verse 22 explains why. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to Him, but His great anger is against all who forsake Him. Both are true. Both are true there. And we want God's hand on us as we look to Him. We don't want His anger and wrath as those who forsake Him. We want God. And then we see in verse 23, So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and He answered our prayer. What an awesome statement. You see, Ezra needed help. And think about who he had access to. He could have gone to the king and got whatever he wanted. But he knew exactly what he needed. He needed God's protection for the journey, and that's exactly what he got. And then we, we keep reading through the passage, and 24 to 34 is a, a longer text, but it talks about carrying the luggage. They're given gold and silver and temple vessels, and he just gives these to the priest and says, hey, when we get there, measure it, count it, record it, 
put it where it's supposed to go. Ezra entrusts the leadership that God has given and says, hey, you're going to answer to God for it. You're going to answer to God for it, so do what's best to the glory of God. I love that about Ezra, and the leaders do it. The leaders, do, they, they deliver it. Now, I want you to think about this. It's not a secret. There's a big group going, a few thousand people returning, and they're carrying gold, silver, and expensive temple vessels. Now, on a 900-mile journey, there's all sorts of enemies and people willing to take what you have. There's a huge risk here. There's a lot of danger on the road, and yet they just keep taking the next step. Then you, we finish in verses 35 to 36. We see that the, the people offer these sacrifices. It was a burnt offering to the Lord. This is worship. They're giving thanks for the journey. They're giving thanks for what God is doing amongst them. They're in the temple worshiping their God. And then, verse 36, they also delivered the king's orders to the royal satraps and the governors of the trans-Euphrates, who then gave assistance to the people and to the house of God. They got to work. They got to work. They're doing what God called and created them to do. And so you, you see this in these two chapters, just a, a brief snapshot. Let's make some applications. Let's make some applications. Number one, when the hand of God is on you, there will be a hunger for his word. How did Ezra change the world? How did, what was his game plan? What was his strategy? You saw it in verse 10. Don't tell me you forgot. You saw it in verse 10. Know the word. Do the word. Teach the word. It's that simple. Guess how you and I will change this world? It hasn't changed. Know the word. Do the word. Teach the word. That, that's as simple as it gets. And you see, you see what that accomplished in his life. He was able to lead a people back to the promised land. He's able to provide the silver and the gold because the king had favor on him, because he was well-versed in the law. You see, he had safe journey. He was able to gather Levites, all because he knew the word, did the word, and taught the word. That's an amazing promise. But you, you know what? That also happens today. I brought in an object from, from Dia's uh, toys, and she likes these things. These things are called magnetiles. Whoever created these, bravo, great job. And basically, they just stick to each other, right? You can build whatever with these things. Now, Dia's not going to be an architect. She's not building, right? She likes to smash things. But she also loves to hold this up in front of her face. Now, everybody looks normal right now. When I put this up, everybody looks a little yellow. <laughs> then she'll do this. And listen, this is awesome if you're trying to buy some time, right? She'll go through all four of these. She'll hold this up, and she just looks, puts her nose right on it. Sometimes she licks it, so you've got to be careful with these. But she looks through it. Everybody looks a little green through that magnetile. And she'll go blue, and then she'll go red. It changes how she sees everything, right? Now, your worldview is being shaped by someone or something. How you see the world. And it could be social media. It could be news outlets. It could be your friends. It could be parents. It could be whatever. I promise you this. If God's hand's on you, it will be the Bible. 
It's not an outdated book. You are created for God's glory. You can know the God of the universe. I put it, I put it this way, and this, this illustration falls so far short of, of what I'm trying to compare, so bear with me. I'm a decent shooter when it comes to basketball. I can shoot a little bit. And so, Mirity, let's say you're trying to get some lessons, right? I can show you some things. I can say, hey, keep your elbow in, follow through, extend up, aim for the front of the rim. I can tell you all this stuff. But what happens if you have two options? You have me up at Holmes High School, or Steph Curry calls you, says, hey, Jameer, I want to fly you out to San Francisco. And you know what? I've got a camp for just you, me and you, and I'm going to teach you everything that I know about shooting. You want to know what Jameer will say to me? I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm going to go with the greatest shooter of all time, Stephen Curry, and learn how to shoot. Now, when it comes to shooting basketball, that's a great choice. Did you know, when it comes to living life, we have a better option than even learning how to shoot from Steph Curry. When it comes to living life, you can go to the creator of life and know how we should live and glorify God. Why? Because he's given us his word. And now here's the amazing part. I I hear this again and again, and I'm with you. I don't like to read. Neither do I. Neither do I. I hated to read growing up. Right? I wasn't interested. Uh, If there were pictures in the newspaper, I'll look at the sports section. I didn't like to read. But you want to know what I love? I love to know God. I love to know God. I love to have a conversation with God. And He speaks through His Word. It is living and active. This isn't like a chemistry book in high school or college. The Bible will change your life because it's the living Word of God. And because it's so available to us, we take it so much for granted. Think about this. God can be known through his word and i wonder if anybody woke up this morning thinking can't wait to hear from god today i can't wait to dig into the word this morning before i even get to a church building think about monday morning when you wake up you have an opportunity to sacrifice 15 20 30 an hour of sleep so you can spend time hearing from god this is what i know when god's hand is on somebody Their hunger for the Word grows. And guess what happens? As you consume the Word, you see how God's hand is moving people. It always happens that way. If, if you're going to be used in a mighty way, if God's hand is going to be on you, you have to know His Word. You have to do His Word, and then you can teach others also. All right, that's number one. Number two, if God's hand is on you, you will not hesitate To ask for what is needed. To ask for what is needed. This is the theme here in Ezra. The Levites. We'll go back to the Levites, right? The the ones who were supposed to help with the temple, assist. Um, I wonder if they were comfortable in Babylon. You see, many of these guys weren't even alive for the temple. They probably didn't know the role. Like, well, I've never done that before. Don't know what you're talking about. But I'm making it here in Babylon. I don't know if I want to risk my family's life going back to a temple to do something I've never done. But Ezra doesn't let that go, does he? He asks. He goes to him. Says, hey, I need you. And and now this is is the awesome part uh, about this. 
Ezra invites them to come back, and over 258 people return because of the invitation. 38 are Levites, and 220 are temple servants. Ezra didn't go back saying, you know what, it's not that important. No, he knows he needs the Levites, and so he goes and asks. And because God's hand is on Ezra, there's a response. But we also see this from the Levites. In about a week, they let go of everything, prepared, and made a four-month journey. Now listen, I I think we could be in both of these camps. If, If I'm applying this, I'm looking... Both of these things. Number one, do you know what God has called you to and created you for? Do you know God's given you gifts to bring Him glory and specific works that He prepared beforehand for you to walk in them, to bring glory to Him? Did you know that's what you were created for? And I wonder if some of us are just waiting to be asked. And so I think there's a group here that... Maybe we've been sitting on the sideline because we've never been asked and we didn't know. And then, I think there's another group. We've got leaders and there's so many things that we can do, but we haven't asked because we've never had to. We just figured out a way to do it. Both are wrong. Both are wrong. And what we see is when God's hand is on you, you don't hesitate to ask people to do what God's called them to do. And I love the response of the Levites. James Hamilton put it this way, God's hand is for good even on those Levites who did not seek Him at first. We can all take comfort from this. We have all had times when we preferred Babylon to Jerusalem. It's not too late for you to seek the Lord. His hand for good is better than anything Babylon can offer. I love that. I love that. If you're trying to think right now, Is it worth to be all in for Jesus or to keep pursuing whatever you're pursuing? I promise you this, the presence of God and His hand on your life will give you everything you're trying to find somewhere else. And it will only be found in Christ. It goes back to to when I was a student pastor and, and I had to learn how to ask people for help, but I was always ashamed to ask people to do one thing. So as a student pastor at a larger church, they thought... Many members thought, oh, I'm moving. And we have free labor with our students. And you know what? Our student pastor will organize it and figure it out, and maybe I'll be able to save some money. And so sure enough, what would happen? And I'll, I'll be honest, over the summer, we kind of, I think it was about nine weeks, nine weekends in a row where we were doing ministry, right? That was our, our student ministry to raise money for, for trips. And it got to the point where there's a couple people I'd always call first. My brothers, thankfully, are younger than me. They were still strong, in great shape. They were the first two people I called. And I also knew their mother, so if they lied to me and said they couldn't come, I'd make another phone call. And I felt bad, but, but hey, here's the other point. They never did. They never said no. They said, oh, sure, I'll be there. And then I'd make a few more calls, and we'd have a team, and we'd go. But I was always ashamed to ask. And then it got to the point where I realized, you know what, people are just taking advantage of it. We're not doing it. We're not doing it. You see, that's never true of God. When there's a need, I'm never ashamed to ask people to fill in and serve where God's gifted them and called them to. You want to know why? 
Because I think that's where you'll find the most joy. I would say in every one of our hearts, we want to be used in a mighty way to glorify God. We want to make a difference in this world. We want to use however many years, how much time we've got to make an impact for the glory of God. Now, I also put a little caveat in. Elvis, you asked me a couple of times. Elvis was singing. He says, you know what, Ben? We have an extra mic if you want to get up here and sing. I love that he asked, but I also know I am not gifted to be on a microphone. I'm gifted to be in my corner and sing and praise God. And so we've got to make sure when someone says no, that doesn't mean, well, I guess nobody's going to do it. It just means to keep asking. Find the right person for the right fit, but keep asking. This is what Ezra did. He did it with the Levites. He did it with the king. He did it with his God. He did it with the people returning. He knew what God called him to do. He knew what they were created for. He knew the mission, and then he got busy asking. Now, here's my question. Is somebody here sitting waiting for an invitation, waiting to be asked? Maybe God's laid something on your heart. We can figure out how we can equip you for ministry. Or maybe you're leading something, but you haven't asked anybody for help. Don't rob people of their giftedness and how they could glorify God. Let's get busy asking. All right, and then third and finally, these four characteristics. Four characteristics of if God's hand is on you, these things will be evident. Humility, prayer, worship, and work. And, and we've already read all of these texts, right? Ezra knows that God's hand's on him, that it's not about him, and so he humbles the people to fast and pray. You know God's hand is on you when you realize what you're doing isn't in your own strength, but because God's with you. God makes all the difference. And so what does that do? That creates humility. I think of it like this. If a golf ball had feelings, if a golf ball had, let's say Tiger Woods has a golf ball when he won the Masters, let's say that golf ball had feelings. And every time it gets close to going in the cup, people just roar and that golf ball thinks, you know what, I'm kind of special. I'm a kind of special golf ball. But it's not the golf ball. Who is it? It's Tiger. He's the one doing it. He's the one doing awesome things with the golf ball. And, and you see, that's what God does in us. There's nothing special about me, nothing special about you, but there's something very special about our God. And that brings humility. But then it also, our dependence and our humility is seen in how we pray. If we realize that all of this comes from God, we're going to be in constant communication with our God. And so, if you want to know if God's hand's on you, look at your prayer life. If you're going days without praying, you're probably doing things in your own strength. You're probably doing thing in your, things in your own strength. A guy who has and a lady who has God's hands on them will be constantly praying because they realize it's God, not them. But then also you'll see worship. You'll see worship. Uh, they, they do this two times. One, they give praise and glory to God for moving the king's heart. They're like, look, look at what this king is doing. Who would have guessed that? Only God can do this. So they worship at the end of chapter 7, and then you get to the end of chapter 8, and they worship God again in the temple, doing what he had promised to do, getting them there safely. When God's hand is on you, you are constantly giving praise and worship to God for what he is doing in and through you to his glory. And then finally, the people get to work. When God's hand is on you, you get to work. And you know what? You rely on his strength, not your own. Uh, I'll, leave, I'll leave you with one more moving illustration. If you ever rented a U-Haul truck, you don't use that 
to go for a joyride. I'm not renting a U-Haul truck to teach Ava how to learn how to drive, right? You pay for the miles. You don't take that out to go to a nice restaurant. When you get a U-Haul truck, what do you do? You load it, you unload it, you fill it up with gas, and you take it back, right? When you have the U-Haul truck, it's time to work. When God's hand is on you, it's time to be humble, it's time to pray, it's time to worship, and it's time to work. Is God's hand on you? And I'll leave you with this. I'll close with this. God's gracious hand is on you most clearly. It can be most clearly seen in the cross. In the cross. If you want to be saved, who do you look to? You look to Jesus. You look to what he did for you and what he did for me lived a perfect life, died on the cross, dead and buried. God raised him from the dead. He's seated at the right hand and will be returning for his people. By his work, my sins are paid for. I can never pay for my sin. I can never pay for my sin. And thankfully, because of Jesus, I don't have to. They've already been paid for. And the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It also says all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. If you want to experience the gracious hand of God for you, look to his son, Jesus. And you can do that today. You can do that today. If you want to experience God's hand on you, it starts by looking to the cross and what Jesus has done for you and experiencing God's hand, his powerful hand to save. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning. Lord, you're an awesome God. And you stay with your people. Father, we thank you for working and moving in us and through us. Father, I pray for those here that don't know you, that today they look to your son Jesus for salvation. I pray for those here that know you but are sitting on the sidelines. I pray that today you give them wisdom and how to plug in. I pray for leadership to know how to ask and what to ask for, how to strategize to reach this community, understanding that it all comes back from knowing you through your word. Pray that we know it, that we do it, and that we teach. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand. This is our time of invitation. However God is calling you, please respond to him this morning.